If you call something the last, then make it the last. On this episode of Moving Panels, we discuss X-Men The Last Stand. Welcome to Moving Panels, the podcast where we discuss movies and TV shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. I'm your host, Laramie Wells, and joining me today in the co-host chair, he is the creator and host of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast, it's Tim Williams. How are you, Tim? I am wonderful, Laramie. Glad to be back with you on the Moving Panels Podcast. It's always a pleasure. I, and It's always great to have you here, and... um Again, anybody's not listening to the 80s Flick Flashback podcast, why not? You should. Uh, 80s <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing? Great time for movies. Right. Uh, so we are talking about the the third movie in the X-Men franchise, what is supposed to be the end of the X-Men trilogy. However, they, they kind of bring them back in Days of Future Past, so... Mm-hmm. I don't know how much of an end this was, but whatever. Um, but we're t- <laughs> we're talking about X Men: The Last Stand. It doesn't even get the name like X. Like they called the second one X Two. Right, right. They didn't even call this one X Three or X Men Three. It's just X Men: no, the, the Last Stand. Stand. Yeah, exactly. And that would proceed to just continue naming things X Men. <laughs> this title. We don't like numbers in our titles. Yeah, apparently not. But. Let's give a little background, because this one's actually got some really interesting background. Okay, cool. So, Brian Singer, who was the director of the first two movies, he left to direct Superman Returns. Don't know how great of a decision that was on his part, but (laughs) he left to direct Superman Returns. Then they went through a bunch of different directors. Darren Aronofsky was actually Mm -hmm. offered the, 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 uh, the director chair. He declined. Joss Whedon, who actually wrote... The mm-hmm. comics that a lot of this is based on, this movie is based on, the Astonishing X-Men series back in 2004, he rejected it because at the time he was working on a script for a Wonder Woman movie. Ah, very you, you remember that when Joss Whedon was behind Wonder Woman? I do. I remember, yeah. yeah. Well, I remember, yeah, I think so. I and remember there being a rebooted TV show that didn't do anything. Was that him too? Or no, was that, that was not else? him. He was supposed okay. to do the actual movie. Gotcha, gotcha. And by the way, we're just going to go ahead and say right now, we are not going to talk about uh, <laughs> any of these guys' personal life. No, and no, it's how very wise for us horrible not to do that. of people they are. <laughs> um, we're just going to stick to the movie. Zack Snyder was actually approached, but he was already committed to 300. So another comic book adaptation there. Right. Matthew Vaughn was yeah. then hired. He actually yeah. took the job uh, back in March of 2005. Uh, with scheduling, with filming scheduled to start in July. So he was hired mm-hmm. in March. Filming was set to begin in July. Uh, unfortunately, though, he left due to family issues. I want to see his version <laughs> of this. Now, of course, he would return, and he did X-Men First Class. Right, right. But I really would have liked to have seen him get the the OG X-Men and seen what he would have done uh, with that. But... He left due to family issues, but there's also a quote I found that he said he thought he couldn't make the movie he wanted because mm-hmm. Fox had such a tight schedule put on him. So they had already set the movie to be released in May of twenty uh, of 2006. It was the beginning of May, then they moved it to Memorial Day weekend, uh, and they weren't going to move it anymore. So even though he's starting in March of 05, so... 
a year later they're going to release the movie, that doesn't give him a lot of time as a director to actually do anything. Right, right. He pretty much just has to come in, use the script that they have, and go. So he left, and then they they brought on Brett Ratner. He was hired in June. And again, let's remember, they started filming in July. Yeah, yeah. So they bring in Brett Ratner, who didn't really know anything about the X-Men. Surprise, the surprise, the surprise. <laughs> um, there is a rumor, and I, I read this in a couple of different sources, mm-hmm. that a production assistant or a writer or someone handed him the X-Men encyclopedia. Okay. You know, they put out those like ex- encyclopedias right. of all the different characters. They handed him the X-Men encyclopedia, and that is all he looked at to know how to deal with these characters. Wow. Wow. And, yeah. And he read some of them wrong, which we're going to get into. <laughs> uh, the writers wanted to do the Phoenix Saga. They, they right. wanted to do the Phoenix Saga, and only the Phoenix Saga. Unfortunately, Fox wanted to do the the Cure storyline, the Mutant Cure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so they merged them together and made it this movie. <laughs> uh, of course, this was our X-Men, the same X-Men from 2000 that kind of kicked off the superhero boom of the, the 2000s. And, you know, this movie being released in 06... It was right before the MCU got started, two years before the MCU got started. That was 08. Uh, So kind of exciting there. Um, So we have all of our original cast, and we'll get into some of that probably a bit later, but we do lose James Marsden very quickly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cyclops is killed off screen, Mm -hmm. uh, although we know he's killed, but uh, very, very early. And that was due to the fact, remember I just talked about how Brian Singer left to do Superman Returns. Well, people who forget, James Marston is in Superman Returns. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Yeah. So so he left to do Superman Returns. Studio actually didn't want him in the movie at all. Okay. Uh, Fo- Fox just wanted him to be killed off, and it just kind of be mentioned that Cyclops had been killed. I don't know if they were going to do it the same way or if it was something else. I'm actually glad that we at least get to see it as much mm-hmm. as I don't like that they killed him but whatever. <laughs> we do not get to see Alan Cumming return as Nightcrawler. Right. And the reason for that is because Fox didn't want to pay for the makeup. Exactly. Yep, I saw that. How about that? They thought, well, it's going to be too small of a role, mm-hmm. so he's not a main enough character. We're not going to pay for the makeup. Gambit was supposed to be in this movie, mm-hmm. but... They were also in the process of preparing X-Men Origins Wolverine at the same time. And they decided not to use him in this movie. Uh, And this is funny because they thought there was too many characters and they wouldn't be able to do the character (laughs) justice. How well did that work out for them? Not well. (laughs) So let's, let's get into the characters. Like I said, there are so many characters. Um, We're not going to focus on the ones that are the main X-Men. We might mention them in passing, but you know, we can talk about them in other episodes. Let, let's kind of focus on the ones that are either introduced or highlighted uh, in this. And I'm going to start with Warren Worthington. Yeah. So Warren Worthington, a.k.a. Angel, though he is never called Angel in the movie, but it does appear mm-hmm. as Angel in the credits, uh, played by Ben Foster, who I think at this time it was kind of his, 
he was getting a big push in Hollywood right around this time. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. He's one of my favorite actors actually, who's very underrated and unappreciated, I think, cuz anything he's in, he's really good in it. Yeah, I think he he is what Shia LaBeouf tried to be, but Ben Foster yes. couldn't reach the level that Shia LaBeouf did. That is a very very accurate statement. Yeah. Very accurate. He of course statement. came he became that. before he also came from mm-hmm. Disney. I loved the the sitcom he was in, the um, Fast Forward. But he's playing Angel. We see him at the very beginning. We get two flashback sequences at the beginning, one with Jean Grey, a young Jean Grey, getting picked up by the Professor and Magneto, which is something we're probably going to talk about a little bit <laughs> more later. Uh, and then we see the young uh, Warren cutting his wings off, which mm-hmm. was a a great scene. Yeah. It was actually one of Matthew Vaughn's scenes that he had. Oh, that's uh, definitely Matthew planned Vaughn. for the moving. Yeah. yeah. That's definitely. So that, they said that was one of his, uh, one of the things he fought for that they actually kept in the script yeah. for this, for this movie. Again, and even the little kid that's playing Warren. I mean, it's a great it's very performance. Good. Um, yes. For just a small little part like that. But mm-hmm. tell me if you didn't think that after seeing that, that he would have a bigger part in the movie. You're absolutely correct. I was, you know, yeah, I was very disappointed that there was not more of him in this movie, or at least there just wasn't enough of him in the movie yeah. for my taste. He he kind of just floats around in the background. Mm-hmm. You know, his his dad tries to get him to be the first one to take the cure, which fits mm-hmm. with the character, because right. in the comics, uh, he actually uh, is going to get cured, and it ends up being a ploy by Apocalypse. And that's how he becomes Archangel and becomes one of his uh, horsemen, which we do see him as that character in uh, Apocalypse a few years down the road, which, again, messes with the whole timeline thing. <laughs> Let's not try to tackle are, the timeline. Look, I'm going to have a hard time <laughs> when you talk about this movie, talking about that X-Men timeline that Fox just butchers uh, and it makes no sense, which, again, brings me back to that Jean Grey storyline. I was like, wait. How is, how is Charles walking at this age, but he was already in a wheelchair in the 60s based off mm-hmm. of... Anyway, okay, moving on. <laughs> but yeah, you would think Angel would have a bigger role. The character is an original X-Men. He was mm-hmm. one of the original five X-Men in the very first issue back in 1963. So how you just make it so that you see him fight off getting the cure flying off. You see him in the, the mansion for a hot minute and then he catches his dad. That's it. Right. That That's what we It's get. like. He's, he's there for just like a, uh, it's almost a glorified cameo, yeah. even though he's not a character that we've, we, unless you're a comic book person would know the significance of his role, but he doesn't really do anything. He doesn't move the plot yeah, the, forward. And he really, he's just there for like a, it's, it's a, um, um, like a writing device where it's like, it's a, it, a convenient, that's the word. It, he's a convenient cameo. In other words, he's there for convenience. Like let's show him early so that when we need someone to come and save us something out of the blue that no one will expect. Oh, here's angel. Remember that little kid that was, that was, uh, you know, cutting off his wings earlier. It's that guy where that's going to put him in right here. It's like, that's that. That's almost like they set him up just for that one moment. And that was it. Or those two moments, I guess with him getting uh refusing to take the 
the cure. Well, and then they kind of play it off like he gives the X-Men the motivation to to keep going because they have where mm-hmm. he walks in while they're talking uh, at the mansion. And yeah. Yeah. But even that feels like, why did he have to be there for that? Like I almost right, expected right. that he, it would be him who says, I don't know how this would have even fit, but for him to say, you know, well, you know, I'll, I'll pay off whatever. Cause you know, he's supposed to be rich. Right. Right. Yeah. And so f- for him to say, you know, I'll pay this off or, you know, I'll, you know, just tell me whatever you need to keep this school going or I don't know, but they, it's just, com- it was a complete <laughs> waste of this character. Yes, I agree. But let's move on to a character that they did not waste. And that is Dr. Hank McCoy. Yeah. Beast. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now here's the thing. He was actually in all three movies. So if, right, if you go back right. to the first X-Men movie, it's a blink and you'll miss it thing. When we're introduced to Logan in the bar, uh, he, Hank McCoy is actually being interviewed on the TV. And it's, of course, not Kelsey Grammer, a uh, mm-hmm. completely different actor. Uh, then in X- X2, we get another kind of television interview. and We actually hear him talk. Again, it's not Kelsey Grammer. It's not even the guy from right. the first movie. <laughs> but we get Dr. Hank McCoy. And then they finally, I have, I have always talked about, I, I talk about this probably um you know, more than I could would probably think I do, but talking about how, you know, back, back when we were younger, there was wizard magazine and yeah. Wiz- oh, yeah, wizard yeah. magazine would always do the, if they made this into a movie, cause that was before superhero <laughs> movies were really a thing. So it was, right. if they made this into a movie, who would play these characters? And of course, Patrick Stewart was always professor X. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And so when they actually did cast Patrick Stewart as professor X, all of us who grew up, with Wizard Magazine in these comics, just jumped for joy. Well, Kelsey Grammer was always somebody that they also paired up with Beast. Because you think hmm. Kelsey Grammer was doing Cheers at the time. Right, you right. Know, probably even Frasier had gotten started by yeah. that point. And so fans were, were looking at, hey, Kelsey Grammer could play Beast. And let me tell you, we were right. Kelsey Grammer could play <laughs> Beast. Which he really wanted the role, too. Like, he... He wanted it so bad he was willing to audition, and it was the first audition he had done in like twenty or twenty five years, something like that. Like he had to fight for the role, um, amazingly. Well, it shouldn't have been a question. Um, <laughs> of course, Beast is another original member appearing in the very first episode, although he didn't have the whole. He wasn't the whole blue Beast at that point. Mm-hmm. He was just more of like a really stocky looking guy who kind of moved around like almost like an, an ape but yeah the makeup looks great this is yeah. i think oh, yeah, the yeah. makeup they put on him looks great i don't know how much of it was maybe cgi i don't think they i don't know if they did stuff like I that think, back then no i don't think they did they did it more for first class and days yeah. of future past for sure um but i think this was all pretty much makeup more so than green screen special effects stuff yeah, it was great it was absolutely great his movements Again, I know some of that mm-hmm. was CGI, especially during the, the battle at the end. Oh, yeah, the yeah. The way he moves. But even Kelsey himself, when he gets into certain poses and what, I mean, that was, it was great. I even loved mm-hmm. when he puts on his uniform, he was, he's like, you know, it doesn't quite fit. It's like, I don't <laughs> care. That looks great. Like the way mm-hmm. the jacket was kind of opened and also pulled back a little bit. It's like, it looks great. There's nothing 
And Beast was definitely needed for this. Beast mm. Beast does hold the story well. He serves an important role, which he actually does in the comic as well, which we'll get into in the moving panel section. Uh, but yeah, absolutely love Kelsey Grammer as Beast. Agree. All right, let's talk about some of the other characters they introduced to us. First was Callisto, um, mm-hmm. who was along with Magneto, played by Dania. Ramirez, if I pronounced that correctly. Uh, the character of Callisto first appeared in the Uncanny X-Men number 169 in May of 1983. In the movie, she is the leader of the group called the Omegas. They all had a little Omega tattoo mm-hmm. on them. But in the comics, she's the leader of a group called the Morlocks. And so I don't know why they didn't just use the name Morlocks. <laughs> uh, I don't know if Omega sounded cooler, if... It was because Omega meant the end, and yeah, yeah, that sounds like somebody trying to be clever. Yeah, but her powers. She, so in the comics, Callisto, her powers are really just that all of her senses are enhanced, and it makes her just a really good fighter. Um, it's nothing any special, and so in the movie, they give her the power to detect other mutants and their powers, which right, actually right. belongs to a character called Caliban who we saw in in uh, Logan, primarily. Right, uh, right. Stephen Merchant's character. Uh, so they kind of merged the characters there. But uh, what were your thoughts on Kalisto? I mean, she was fine. I yeah. mean, I don't, I don't, nothing, 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 nothing stood out, you know, one way or the other. I feel like that's going to uh, come across a lot in this episode. Eh, yeah. It, it was fine. Yeah. She had two kind of lieutenants, I guess you would say, beside mm-hmm. her. One was, I didn't even honestly figure this out until I looked it up later. One of them was supposed to be Psylocke. Oh, really? Yeah. One was supposed to be Psylocke, played by Mailing Melicon. Okay. And I th- that's all I'm going to say, because I don't want to talk <laughs> about this Psylocke, because you didn't see any of the Psy power that Psylocke has. Mm-hmm. I would rather wait until we cover X-Men Apocalypse when Olivia Munn played a more true version right, of Psylocke. Right, right, right. Uh, because this Psylocke was not even close to the actual Psylocke. So, so moving on. Her other right-hand man was played by Ken Lung, and the character is credited as Kid Omega. Now, there's an issue with that. That sounds made up. Well, it, it is not. So, <laughs> Kid Omega is in the comics. Kid Omega first appeared in New X-Men number 134 in January of 2003. So, just a few okay, years before so fairly this. new. Gotcha. But Kid Omega's powers are psychic. You know, he's telekinetic. Okay. He he's a very powerful psychic. The character in the movie, you know, produces the spikes out of his face and body yeah, like and a all porcupine. that. Yeah. Which is a whole different character. <laughs> that is Quill. Mm-hmm. And Quill, mm-hmm. who appeared in New X-Men number one in July of two thousand four. And for those of you who who just followed that. Let me explain. So new X-Men 134 was in 2003. New X-Men number one was in 2004. This is when they do the volume change. So gotcha. Yeah. So kid Omega was appearing in new X-Men volume one. And then when they kind of rebooted things um, and switched over new X-Men number one was volume two. And that was in July of 2004. So again, his powers more represent Quill. The problem there is Quill's an X-Man. Quill's not a villain. 
to my knowledge, Quill has never been a villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, Quill is an X-Man. Now, if you watch the movie with the commentary on, it is stated <laughs> that them crediting him, as because he's never named in the movie, right? with them right. crediting him as Kid Omega, that was a mistake. <laughs> and according to the, I don't know who says it, whether it's uh, the writer or whether it's um, Brett Ratner, but one of them says he was, he's supposed to be Quill. Gotcha. Um, I again, chalk this up to Brett Ratner, not knowing anything about X-Men <laughs> and him flipping through the, the encyclopedia, encyclopedia. and he got some yeah. stuff messed up. He probably just saw a name like, Ooh, that's a cool name. Just call him that. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, you know, randomly grabbing somebody out of uh, an X-Men encyclopedia, let's talk about multiple man. Okay. So they make multiple man kind of a, big deal in this movie where in the mm-hmm. comics, he's not even that big of a deal. Um, <laughs> but multiple man played by Eric Dane, multiple, multiple mm-hmm. man from the comics appeared in giant size, fantastic four number four. Um, I didn't actually put a date for that one, but eh, who cares? <laughs> this is another kind of like quill multiple man's for the most part in the comics. He's a good guy. So making him this, horrible villain that's locked up with mystique and juggernaut. Mm. I didn't quite understand. He has been a villain in the comics. He was a villain in the ultimate Marvel stories. Now in the comic, his duplicates, which he calls dupes are Mm -hmm. created through kinetic energy. Okay. Like for instance, if you uh, run into him, a duplicate will pop out. Oh, I gotcha. Or a couple of duplicates, which help me out here because I tried to think about did did we not see a kid with that ability in one of these X-Men movies? Like a kid got, got knocked over in the hallway and he splits into a bunch of versions of himself. I I remember that. That might've been in the second one. I think maybe I tried to look it up and I couldn't find it. But as soon as I I was thinking about it, I was like, no, we've seen a kid with those powers before. (laughs) It was weird going back and watching this one. I kept thinking, Oh, are we going to, is this scene? Like I kept, wanted to put X2 scenes in this movie and somehow in my mind, the two have gotten some interchange, which plot wise doesn't make any sense, but like just maybe I think it's just different characters or like specific, like little small scenes and probably more so like in, uh, in the school. And that's probably why. Yeah. And that's because we get, and this is no respect, uh, no disrespect, excuse me, no disrespect to uh, Elliot page, but at the time, her name was Ellen Page, or his name was Ellen right. Page. Uh, so I'll probably say Ellen Page. Ellen Page playing Kitty Pride. We had already seen a Shadow Cat as one of the students mm-hmm. in, I think it was X2, but it, it wasn't mm-hmm. Ellen Page. Right. It was some random actress. I don't even <laughs> think she was given a name. Because we mm-hmm. see her, we also see Jubilee. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that ticks me off the most. Jubilee is played by Kia Wong. And Jubilee, Kia Wong has played Jubilee in all three of these movies, but she's never been given a role other than just a background (laughs) character. It's crazy. And I don't understand why they never just used her. Mm -hmm. Use her for something. Um, (laughs) But uh, let me just go through a list of some other just random characters you kind of see. Yeah, because there's a lot. Yeah. (laughs) So, and again, these are ones that you see them kind of for the first time. Uh, you see Siren, you see Arclight, you see the Stepford uh, Cuckoos, uh, Cuckoo, excuse me, 
you see fat, which I do. I did kind of like that one. He's the, you know, the big guy when they're meeting and mm-hmm. he goes to sit down and they're oh, worried. Saw, yeah. And then all of a sudden he becomes skinny. <laughs> uh, yeah. That was a pretty cool special effect. I ain't gonna lie about that. Yep. Then we got spike. That was the one who was chasing Wolverine in the woods. Uh, mm-hmm. Glob Herman, Anoli, Avalanche and Vanisher. Those again, mm-hmm. Brett Radner was given an X-Men encyclopedia and it sounds like he just flipped through the page, stuck his finger in and said, okay, let's put this character somewhere in there. <laughs> all right. So with all these characters and with all of this, like I said, I just wanted to hit a few cause there's so many, um, I'm going to, um, Tim and I are going to just talk about who did we think were our best and worst characters out of the movie. So I'll let you, Tim go first. Let's start with best character. Who was your best character in this movie? Who did you think was the best version? Did the best, whatever. Oh. Who was your best character? Well, not gonna change my answer. No, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> who, who was your best character? I mean, I mean, I, I'm always gonna go with Wolverine. He's the character that I care the most about in any of the X Men movies, even though it, he's still somewhat of a wasted character in this one, because X Two was so much of his story. He was really the more the the central character. Same with Days of Future Past, which is probably why those were my two favorite X Men movies. Um. Wait, but he's Lo- still Logan the is not one of your favorite X Men movies. No, no, let's let's not have that discussion oh, right oh, now. Damn. I am, I'm not, I'm not a fan of Logan like other people are. Uh, but it's good. It's just yeah. Let's not oh. have that discussion. I think I think uh, you know Chad and I had that discussion when we we did our episode without you. So you should have been there. But anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> as far as least favorite, and we've already covered it, as well. I was like, don't start with him because that's who I'm going to talk about. But Angel was probably my least favorite only because he was so underused. And like I said, with same, with using uh, the actor, Ben Foster, knowing what he can do as an actor and him being completely wasted. And I'm not saying he's the only one that's wasted because there's a lot of wasted, you know, oh, actors yeah. in this movie that can do way better than what they were given. Um, you know, I won't even get started with. Yeah, I'm not even go go down that road. But anyway, um, but yeah, Angel was the one that I was the most disappointed in, and I remember the I remember feeling that way, seeing it for the first time in the theater, like when they had that opening scene with the kid. I was like, "Ooh, this is going to be interesting to see where this goes." Mm-hmm. And then it goes nowhere, yep. and the movie was over. And I was like, "Really used him for that? That was his whole arc was just to you know, fly you know save his dad at the end." Okay, so. Uh, so yeah, those are mine. What about you? Well, so I'm going to go back to your, your best uh, again. I, I honestly think that of all of the movies that, uh, Hugh Jackman has appeared as Wolverine. I think this is his worst performance. Yeah, I could see that. Even his short cameo in first class where he just says two words. Right. <laughs> I think is a better performance. Did you not? Like, if you watch Hugh Jackman, did it not look to you like he was just like, like he didn't want to be there for a lot of the scenes? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's my thing. So, no, for me, and I've, we've already talked about him, my best character is Beast. Yeah. I think he yeah. was perfectly done. He was perfectly acted. He was perfectly portrayed. Uh, you know, we've already talked about it all, but yeah, to me, that was the best character. The worst character for me, Rogue. Yeah, she's she's a very close second, but she's my least favorite in all of them <laughs> because she whines the whole time. Oh I just I am not it just it 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 grinds my nerves. She grinds my nerves. 
every time she was on screen, I was just like, uh, where's my phone? So I don't have to look at her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and again, nothing against Anna Paquin. No, no, I mean, no, no. She's it's a, just the character a, she's been given. Yeah. Oscar winner, Anna Paquin. Right. Oh, yeah. She, but Emmy, Emmy winner. But the, yeah. yeah. And, and again, it's it's in the writing. They screwed Rogue up from the very first movie. Mm-hmm. It was not the character that comic book fans, you know, enjoyed and wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they made her so emo and yeah. it just it didn't work. I didn't like it and especially didn't like it in this movie. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that's it for me. Yeah. I, I mean, I had to whittle it down, but there there were there were many uh uh honorable mentions in that category for for least favorite. Well, there's so many characters that you <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't help but have a whole list of uh, I don't want like this character. I don't want this character in it. But I, once again, I, we, we kind of said I don't think it's to the I don't think it's the fault of the actors. Uh, it was it was the writing and what they were given. They're just it's the problem with and this is the problem. And I know we're not talking about this movie right now, but Apocalypse was not done very well. Um, of course, Dark Phoenix is horrendous. Uh, I haven't even watched the New Mutants, which I knew you mentioned you're going to be doing here pretty soon. But when you have so many characters, you don't give us enough time to. There's no development, and there's not enough for us to care about them enough. Um, yeah, that's and that, definitely true. That, yeah, that's that's evident in this movie where it's trying to move from action scene to action scene without much story to link it all together well. Which happens a lot, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna go ahead and throw this guy under the bus. You said that uh <laughs> you said you said it's not the actor's fault. Aaron Stanford, Pyro. The guy who plays Pyro. Yeah. No, yeah, he, that was number three. That was number yeah. three on my list. <laughs> he But I didn't it I wasn't, didn't like him in the second one. Yeah, it wasn't the writing for him. He overacted. Yeah. He made his character I will say he works as a villain. Because every mm-hmm. time I saw him on on screen, I wanted to punch him in the face. Right, right, right. But yeah, he that acting was not good on his part. I'm just gonna throw it out there. Do you love movies of a certain age? Do you miss the days of VHS tapes and VCRs and video rental stores? Is the thought of another '80s movie being remade seem inconceivable? If you want to go back to school, back to the future, or even back to the beach, then the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast is for you. I'm Tim Williams, the creator and host, and on each episode, I'm joined by guest co-host as we revisit a different 80s flick to discuss our first-time watch memories, iconic scenes, and even learn some behind-the-scenes stories along the way. New episodes drop every other Friday on your favorite podcasting platform. So make like a tree, get out of here, and go listen to an episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. All right, so let's get into the moving panel section. And of course, we can't help but, you know, obviously talk about the connection to the Dark Phoenix Saga. Mm -hmm. Now, some people may not actually be aware of this. The Dark Phoenix Saga is not a storyline. Okay. It's It's a development of a character. It actually, it takes the, if you call it a story, the entire Dark Phoenix story actually takes place over a couple of years. Um, okay. Or at least the initial story. Uh, mm-hmm. And Phoenix comes back later. But when she, when Jean Grey first becomes the Phoenix, she's actually a good guy 
for a good while. Mm -hmm. Um, and then she, then it becomes the dark Phoenix. And, uh, and then we go from there. So let, let's kind of get into this though. So the, the dark Phoenix saga, the Phoenix saga, whatever you want to call it is written by Chris Claremont. Now, are you aware that Chris Claremont actually has a cameo in this movie? I think so. Do you know who he was? Is he, he's, he's the lawnmower guy, right? Yeah, he's the when, lawnmower uh, Stan, guy. Stan Lee is the, uh, garden hose man yes and he's the lawnmower man yeah which is how That's they're credited in the <laughs> yeah. in the credits <laughs> right yeah right. i love that he's lawnmower man um <laughs> not to get confused with the movie character the lawnmower man yes but but yeah chris claremont uh who pretty much gave us the x-men that we know and love obviously stan lee gave us the original group but you know if you're you became a comic book fan in the 80s and 90s like tim and i did you watch the X-Men cartoon and mm-hmm. those, those characters, that was Chris Claremont. Chris Claremont's mm-hmm. behind all of that. Um, so this was right. This was right at his time. So it all started in uncanny X-Men number 100 in August of 1976. This is where Gene guides the jet through space. It's space in the movie. Obviously you remember the end of X2, it's this lake mm-hmm. and they're, they're got to get out of the lake. Um, but she's guiding it through space. She is hit by a flare in space, mm-hmm. and that—that's really when the the story originally came. That was it. It was just, it was a flare. Uh, later, it was retconned. It was there was a uh, alien kind of force inside of it that entered okay. Gene. But this was not. It was just a flare. It was just something that, as the movie more implies. Uh, it was another part of Gene's power that, you know, awoken. Right, right. So then, just like in this movie, in the next issue, 101 in October of 1976, Gene emerges from the water. So very similar to the way we saw it in the movie. Mm-hmm. I do think I would have liked to have seen her fly out of the water. Um, mm-hmm. I was kind of a little bummed that you just see kind of the water explode and then it's just foggy and all of a sudden mm-hmm. she's there. But that that's when it happens. She emerges. And, of course, she doesn't kill Cyclops in the comic, obviously. Uh, but it, this plays out pretty much the same. She passes out. They find her. And she's... Well, because they're with her at the time. Because they're still in the plane. And she uh, they take her to the hospital. So, plays out very similar. When Storm and Logan find her, they take her... They don't take her to the hospital, but they take her back to the mansion. Now... The next several comics, we kind of get a panel or two about her recovering in the hospital. But the X-Men just move on with another mission. So we get to see a little bit. Uh, they battle Juggernaut at this time. So hey, we can say that's a connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also, uh, in one of the ep- uh, issues here, we get to meet Corsair, which is Cyclops' dad. And okay. That's when he's first introduced. So kind of some, some interesting things happen. Now... In issue 105, we're now in June of 1977, so almost a full year since Mm -hmm. Gene has become uh, the Phoenix. We have the X-Men facing off against a character called Fire Lord, who is one of Galactus's heralds, kind of like the Silver Surfer. Mm -hmm. They're facing him, and then Gene unlocks her Phoenix powers at this time. So we get to see her pretty much completely decimate this guy who should be who has all this cosmic power jump even further ahead to issue 133 from May of 1980. So now we're almost four years after 
she has become Phoenix. Uh, Jean, in that comic, Jean actually uses her, this is another connection with the movie, Jean uses her powers to hold back Scott's uh, lasers, his beams, so mm-hmm. that she can see his eyes. Okay. So, hey, look at that. We look we saw another that. thing yeah. straight out of the comic. Uh, it is also in this issue that the X-Men team up with Beast. Beast actually wasn't an X-Men at the time in the comics. Beast was actually an Avenger. Mm, very but cool. But he, he shows up and works with them in this. So we got the Beast tie in there. Jump ahead a couple more months to issue 136 of August 1980. And Jean has become the Dark Phoenix. She is the villain now. And as the Dark Phoenix, she has destroyed a planet. All life and everybody on the planet. She blows it up. <laughs> she then returns to Earth. And now going back to connection with the the movie. She goes to her childhood home. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, difference here is her parents are actually still alive. And they're still there. Okay. Um, and they actually talk to her and confront her. But it's still kind of a very similar moment. She's wrestling with uh, who she is. Um, she's mm-hmm. wrestling with the love she has for her family. Like I said, her parents are still there. Her sister's actually there too. But then because she's the Phoenix, she's so powerful, she can't help but read their minds. Mm-hmm. And deep down, she even makes a comment like they're they're probably not even aware that they think this or they feel this, but she can read in their in their minds that they actually are f- afraid of her. Okay. Which of course you know, kind of leads to her snapping and, and all. Um, but also she, when she's at one point in this issue, uh, she actually begs Wolverine to kill her. Hmm. So again, yeah. Hey, they yep. use yep. the comic as a source pretty well. The story wraps up in the next issue, 137 from September of 1980. Uh, Jean has to face, and again, Jean's kind of won over. She's, push the the phoenix down mm-hmm. so she has to face a tribunal for her crime of you know killing a planet right right unfortunately things go wrong phoenix comes back out uh now in this one wolverine and colossus actually do the fastball special like <laughs> they do at the end of the movie the only difference here is that because of the the gravity on the planet uh wolverine actually says I'll throw you and Wolverine throws Colossus. Okay. Um, It does not work. (laughs) Gene catches Colossus and just kind of throws him down. Um, But at the end of the, this whole Phoenix story, which like I says, has taken four years. We're now in September of 1980. She first really became uh, Phoenix in August of 1976. So we're talking four years later. They wrap mm-hmm. up uh, the original Phoenix saga and Jean sacrifices herself. Now that is her doing. There's no one who kills mm-hmm. her. She does something to save everybody. And in the process, uh, she perishes and they, mm-hmm. they really did that. Like Jean gray was dead in the comics for a long time. Huh. What did you know about the Phoenix saga prior to, to this? Absolutely nothing. Nothing. You didn't. You didn't see it when they did it in the the cartoon back in the nineties. No. Okay. No. Yeah, my first introduction to X Men was the movies, and so, but I had a good friend of mine that was he was a big fan of like Fantastic Four, X Men. So he's the one that kind of got me uh, wanting to see the movies. So that's which 
which is probably why I enjoyed the movie a lot more seeing it the first time than a lot of other people, like people that knew the comics probably did. Um, like rewatching it for this, it doesn't hold up as well as it did, you know, back then. Yeah. Uh, probably because they've done better stories since then. Not uh, of the Phoenix saga, they haven't. No, 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 no. I'm just saying just <laughs> X-Men stories in general. Um, well, they did a few better. Like First Class was much better. Like the Days of Future Past was 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 is my, was one of my favorites. Okay. Uh, after that, it was pretty pretty horrible. So I probably should have asked you this before I broke down the <laughs> the story. But what was your impression on the actual story they tell about Gene becoming the Phoenix? It was interesting. You know, from because I didn't really know the story ahead of time, I thought it was an interesting concept. Um, and really at the time, didn't think it was done that that poorly uh only because i didn't know the source material like other people did so it you know it was an interesting concept interesting idea that i I could get behind but i like you mentioned at the beginning having that as well as the cure child uh storyline didn't seem to mesh well together so it seemed like two two different moving movies trying to exist in the same movie that didn't really work as well well, speaking of the the cure, so that's from the comics as well. Um, it's actually from Joss Whedon's run as the mm-hmm. writer for uh, a great run. I, I'm not gonna lie, this is a, a great. If you want to get into X Men, you don't want to go back to the the you know the old X Men. Uh, Astonishing X Men from 2004 uh, kicked off in November. The first mm-hmm. six episodes are the mutant cure storyline. Okay. And it's a cure created by a company called Benetech. Uh, it is created the scientist who is barely mentioned in this movie. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Rao, um, mm-hmm. who we do see she's killed by Quill at the end. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she is the one who develops a cure. It's also, they use a child. Now it's not leech in the comics. Um, it's this other little girl whose name is slipping my, my, uh, my mind right now. But, the in the comic, it's it's all it's a bigger story. Um, the whole concept of the cure came from this alien named Ord, who's becomes the villain for the story. Uh, but the Doctor Rao character is the same in the um, in the comic. Her and Beast are actually friends. You know, they're both scientists. Uh, mm-hmm. She actually gives Beast a sample of the cure for him to investigate himself, uh, you know, because he's a little skeptical about it. He questions it. He he learns from it, pretty much learns it works. But he also then discovers that they're experimenting on uh, this little girl. And, you know, that becomes the whole thing. I, I will say this. Wolverine and Colossus do the fastball special in that storyline, too. <laughs> so hey, look at that. Both storylines. Uh, they do the fastball special. Been around for a while. But yeah, but that's how it goes there. Uh, of course, you know, once it's discovered, and there's a whole connection with S.H.I.E.L.D. and Nick Fury, which of course they couldn't do in the movies because they mm-hmm. only had rights to the X-Men uh, characters. But again, the connection there. Now, uh, the way they they kind of portray the cure in this movie, I think it was good. Mm-hmm. But I think that it still missed the mark because of like you just said, they're trying also to do the dark Phoenix story mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. yeah, you can't do both of them. Yeah. And to me, that's one of the biggest things that doesn't work about this movie. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of little things. I mean, <laughs> yeah, a lot. There's a lot of little things. Uh, you know, the danger room scene that we see at the beginning. Part mm-hmm. of me is like, that's the movie I want. I want right. that movie. Right. Now they kind of gave it to us in Days of Future Past, but mm-hmm. but I'm like, that's the you know we we see the Sentinel, and of course again mm-hmm. every '90s kid who watched the cartoon, hey Sentinel, <laughs> excited. I still want to know how. Wolverine lit his cigar in a simulation, but that's for a different discussion. Look, that's <laughs> it's it's the danger room. They can really get in. You know, it's it's like real stuff. Okay. You know, if it's yeah, I mean, it's just like the uh, the holodeck in Star Trek: Next Generation. They really interacted with things that weren't technically there. Okay. So uh, don't. Again, we've said this it's before. Yeah, magic. we've said this before on on episodes. It's like don't question <laughs> the logic of a superhero right. movie, right? Comic book movie. I'm gonna get upset about how a cigar gets lit, but I'm, I'm accepting everything else that happens in this movie that would never happen in yeah. real life. So it's it's what we do. Yeah. And also going back, we talked about this earlier. When we we're talking about Rogue. That love triangle storyline. Oh my goodness, that was un unneeded. Yeah. unnecessary melodramatic mm-hmm. uh oh. i feel like yeah i feel like this was one of those movies which you explained well at the beginning with changing directors and people joining projects and leaving projects it almost became a studio movie in the sense of it was put together by focus groups okay what we need here is we need this you know, oh, teenage yeah. love story to appeal to the kids. And you've got to have this story to appeal to the women and this story to appeal. So it's like you're trying to appeal to all these different uh, classifications and all that kind of stuff. Demographics, it just, it, it, yeah. Right. And then, it, you know, you try to please everybody and you please none of them. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's just like going back to me talking about all the connections with, you know, the 90s comics and to have Iceman, who's been in all three movies, to mm-hmm. have... Uh, Iceman finally go full Iceman at the mm-hmm. end of this, you know, in his fight with Pyro, you know, that's something that you would almost feel like in a movie nowadays, that would have been written in a way that as soon as he turned into the full Iceman mm-hmm. would have gotten mm-hmm. a cheer. Right, right. But when right. he does it in this movie, you just kind of go, eh. Yeah. Okay. You did. It happened because it needed to happen, yeah. not because and that, and, it was an it was a organic ev- evolving of the character and nothing's going to come of it either. No, Mm-mm. nothing's going to come up because there was one scene. Is it, I'm f- trying to remember who he was with. He's with somebody who's like flying him down. And I'm like, dude, Iceman should be able to create like a ice slide that he yeah, just, you exactly. know, he, he can come in on. Like he shouldn't be right. being carried by somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Was it Storm that I th- was it may, I think it was. I think it was yeah. Storm. Uh, all right. Well, another wasted character, but I'm not going to Yeah, go we're getting into this. So so let's get into, <laughs> just like we did with the characters, let's get into our favorite scene and a scene that we just think didn't work. So let's start off with the favorite scene. So what's your, what all was right. your favorite scene? I, I have, I kind of have two, and neither one of them are, are you know, they're not, there was no fi- fantastic, iconic scene for me in this. But two scenes that I I like, uh, the first is the Mystique interrogation scene. And I think because I've liked Mystique's character, I was upset that she wasn't more a part of this movie. Uh, 
but I like the interrogation scene for whatever reason. Just I guess the can, you know her changing forms and stuff has always been it was always cool to me when I watch these movies. Uh, but it was just a cool scene. It just I don't I, I can't give a whole lot of explanation besides it just I like Mystique and so that scene was fun. It was better than the in the uh, the truck, you know when she's changing forms and the guard is messing with the guard. Like that scene was kind of I think done more for laughs than it was for the plot, but. Um, but I liked that scene and I liked, as far as just an action scene, I liked the scene with Wolverine, the fight in the woods. Uh, that scene was pretty cool. So just, just for pure action purposes, I enjoyed that scene. Yeah. You, you actually, you, you took mine there. Mine was also <laughs> the Wolverine in the woods, um, which I heard they added Spike, uh, into that mm-hmm. because apparently the way it was originally done and shot it really just looked like Wolverine just went berserk and just started, you know, murdering all, I could see all that. these people. Yeah. And so they added in the spike part. So at least there was someone who initiated it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still I see that. love it. I mean, that's one of the, yeah. I mean, I know this was years before, but you go to Logan, you know, mm-hmm. right there at the end when he's running through the woods, just, mm-hmm. it's a great visual. Yeah. It's having, visual. having him do that is great. Great moment. Yeah. So yeah, and I would have liked to see more of Spike too because I thought he was a cool character to have. And once again, he's just there as a as a foe for Wolverine to defeat in, yeah. in a scene <laughs> uh, with no uh, dialogue whatsoever. Right, right. But now, quick little favorite moment, and this is probably mm-hmm. cheesy because it is kind of a cheesy scene, but I actually just love the visual of it. And that's his. That's Kitty being chased by Juggernaut. <laughs> and Kitty running through the walls and then him mm-hmm. just crashing through them. Yeah. I, I enjoyed that. I, I ain't going to lie. Yeah. I enjoyed it. But so what scene for you didn't work or what? Every other scene in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, is there anything particular that you just, you, you know, like I talked about um, the, the, like if I, I know I talked about kind of a story, but the, the love scene, mm-hmm. not the love scene, but the love triangle. Right. If I were to go to say a specific scene for me, mm-hmm. it is when Iceman and Kitty ice skate. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm that's that I, when I was talking about the focus group, that is a scene specifically I felt was added in because it was trying to appeal to a certain audience. Yeah, because not because it was anything for the story. Yeah, the movie just comes to a halt for those mm-hmm. few minutes. Mm-hmm. So, so are there any other scenes for you like that? That are just like, eh, why? <sighs> yeah, there's just not one that stands. It's 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 a lot of little moments instead of, um, like I said, the the whole Magneto stopping the trucks scene. I remember I remember that being cool when I was younger, like seeing it originally. Uh, it looked really cheesy now, and of course, I know special effects have gotten better. Um, but that scene just it it feels weird now. I don't know how to best way to explain yeah. it. Uh, it just doesn't like it was all for spectacle. You know, he could have done that a totally, a completely different way to achieve what he wanted to achieve. And then yeah. he gets to, you know, it's like he gets there to save her and then she gets hit with the cure darts and he just like, I have no use for you now. You're one of them. And then walks away. It's like, dude, she's been with you for how long? And all of a sudden, because she's, you know, looks human, you just give up on her. That, that scene has always, I guess I had that one scene. That that scene has always bothered me. And I know it was because she was 
she got taken out early because she was involved with other, she had other projects she was supposed to be doing at the same time. So they kind of had to write her out of the script as well. So it's kind of a easy way to get her out at the beginning of the movie. But yeah, I wasn't a fan of that. Talking about unnecessary use of your powers, uh, Magneto also moving the Golden Gate Bridge. (laughs) Like, why? And I also don't Mm -hmm. understand, why did you connect it? Like, all of your people were on the bridge. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you connecting it just allows the X-Men and everybody else to get there. You know, the mm-hmm. military that fought against right. it allowed all of them to get there. Here was, And here was my other thing. When the military show up, and of course they have plastic guns, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Magneto's going, oh no, oh no, oh no. <laughs> let's disregard all this other metal that is around us. Mm-hmm. I am powerless now because they have plastic weapons. Right. I can't take away their weapons, so now I'm powerless. Yeah. Right. But, yeah, but let's ignore the, you know, the 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 sheets of metal that he does pick up early later to block the the shots and let's ignore the vehicles that are all sitting around. Right. That he could right. clearly pick up. Yeah. Uh, I do want to go back. You talked about the interrogation scene. There's another wasted actor. A- mm-hmm. Anthony Held that played yeah. the interrogator. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, dude is is Chilton from Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, yeah. he's a great character actor. Um, you know, I remember him being in Boston Legal. Uh, mm-hmm. Lots of other things. Great, great character actor. And, yeah, he's just completely ruined to this little bit part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another. Why, why, why? And I'm looking. I'm honestly, when I looked him up, because I wanted to make sure I, I got his name, uh, and I see the poster for X Men: The Last Stand. You got Wolverine front and center. You got Storm right behind him, and then Angel is the next predominant person. <laughs> I mean, even Gene is just way in the way back. in the back between Storm and Wolverine's shoulders. You just see her head. <laughs> Yeah, so much. Good old marketing. So much. All right, well, that gets us into, obviously, our final decision. Bag it, stack it, or trade it. So go ahead. Uh, You know what? This is a toss-up. I I really don't know where you might fall here. So go ahead, Tim. Bag it, stack it, or trade it. Um, I'm going to stack it. It, It's a borderline between stack it and trade it because there are other X-Men movies that I like more. X2, Days of Future Past, would definitely be higher on my list. But it's not... It does have some good moments. Uh, and it's not... I don't think... it. Once again, I will say, it's not as terrible as a lot of people say it is. Yes, it's flawed. Yes, it could have been done a lot better. But let's look at at, at the time it being made before the huge comic book movie you know boom. Yeah. yeah boom and you know universe that we live in now where you know every this pales in comparison to what they're doing now it still was trying to do something trying to do something <laughs> that no one had tackled before and that was the dark phoenix story they didn't get it right uh but but they did they did try so i'm for that reason i'll i'll stack it I'm in that same boat. This is a stack it for me. Like you said, this is not a Dark Phoenix movie. They do not tell that story the way they should. 
And even though we're not talking about that movie, they didn't do it right the next time they tried to tell it. <laughs> even worse. This is barely a mutant cure story. I think if I they know. had just focused on the mutant cure, it could have been a better movie. Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree. Ignored the whole Phoenix stuff. I, th- I mm-hmm. think we, it could have been better. I think there was a lot more to it um, going that yeah. route. Because honestly, I was drawn more to the cure story. Yeah, than it's the more Phoenix interesting. Story. It's more interesting yeah. than the Phoenix story. Yeah. Uh, as we've talked, there's too many characters. There's too many mm-hmm. side stories. Uh, again, the the love triangle. I, I didn't care um, mm-hmm. at all. Still don't. Yeah. Didn't care. <laughs> you know, like you were just saying with Mystique, I didn't care. Even when you have a Sentinel show up in the danger room at the beginning, then mm-hmm. you have a character named Trask, who is the guy <laughs> yeah, who's supposed exactly. to create the exactly. Sentinels. Right. You have him. I just was like, okay, but he's just there. Like, Mm -hmm. there's nothing. There's then, I mean, you even have this great thing you could have gone off with, with uh, Beast being this, you know, uh, ambassador and Mm -hmm. secretary Mm -hmm. of mutant affairs. Yeah. And the president, his turn all of a sudden to go against the mutants just did not make sense. We do this before we're going to do it again. This is the next Disney Plus show they need. Beast needs his own Disney Plus show yeah. with that, what it is, as him as making a political, the secretary of, yeah. of, yeah, making a political drama. Man, that would be so good. That would good. be pretty so good. Disney, Disney Plus, we, we got the next hit for you. Just send us the check and we'll we'll, 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 we'll <laughs> yeah. put our name on it. Just, all we yeah, yeah, just name us as producers. It's like, I don't even want need. any money. Just put my name on as producer. Yeah, just, yes, I just want to see my name in the credits. It's like, yeah. you know, story by, inspired by, yeah. it's fine with me. Um. But, you know, that was actually something I was going to go to. If if they want to do the Phoenix saga, it needs to be a, a miniseries. It, it does mm-hmm. not need to be a single yeah, yeah. movie. I mean, just, you said it took them years to do it in the comics. Mm-hmm. Why would they be able to do it in a hour and 45-minute yeah. movie and do it justice? Yeah, a series is where that, that story needs to be, for sure. Agreed. All right. Well, that's uh, that was the last stand, and we are making our last stand. Uh, and now that's a movie to talk about you know what we got other X-Men movie to talk about and ooh like Tim kind of says yeah they they don't necessarily get any better so it'll be interesting we get to talk about the next one Uh, but thank you Tim Um, tell us a little bit about uh, the 80's flick flashback and episodes you got coming up so so we've already released our season premiere which was The Thing uh, which Ron West and I discussed I know Laramie wanted to be on that episode I just I couldn't fit two on this one but uh, but it's a great episode. Make sure you check it out if you haven't listened to it already. And then I've got Better Off Dead coming up quickly behind that uh, with Nicholas Pepin from uh, Pop Culture Roulette, uh, which I think is going to be on Laramie's on uh, Moving Panels. Yeah, we're talking soon, about too. an episode. We're, we're just getting it uh, planned out. Um, so yeah, that yeah. might be coming in the next month or so. Yep. So uh, so got some cool stuff coming up, and I'm really excited. Going to do something big in April. There are three release dates in April. And I'm getting, I'm pulling from Laramie and moving panels and doing like a big panel, not the same kind of panels, but a panel discussion. And we're going to tackle the Back to the Future trilogy in the month of April. So I'm really excited about that. Of course, Laramie's going to be a part of that one. And uh, we're going to have a lot of fun talking about the full trilogy and not just one movie uh, at a time. So we're just going to tackle the whole thing all at one one time. So uh, be sure to check us out. Very exciting, and I'm definitely excited about the Thing episode. I'm a huge fan of the Thing. 
the, I, I played the video game. I love the thing. <laughs> so, yeah, check those out. Uh, again, check out our other partner podcast, like you mentioned, the uh, Pop Culture Roulette. Um, ch- check them all out. Uh, hit us up on social media. Rate us and review us. And uh, we, we do this show for you. And so let us know uh, what you like. And we appreciate everything that you have. But for today, I want to thank Tim. And for Moving Panels, I'm Laramie Wells, and I'll see you on the other side of the page. Good night, everybody. (sighs) What seems to be the problem, pal? There's just so much pain in the world, so many issues. I don't think I can bear it. Well, friendo, it sounds like you could use a dose of pop culture roulette. Pop culture roulette? What's that? Some sort of pop culture themed podcast or something? That's right, sonny boy. When hope seems far, dive into some PCR. But I already get my entertainment news from Variety. Huh, that's pretty good. If you're a chucklehead, PCR gives you news you need, condensed, unfiltered, and raw, from three nerds who know a little something about something. Wow, okay, sign me up. That's the spirit. Pop Culture Roulette, new episodes every Monday, available on all major podcast directories. What's up, dudes? I'm Jerry D. of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, he's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooged, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas Special. Plus classics shown every year. You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever, like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gag Me With The Spoon, The Other Half Of The Battle, and Chant With The Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories. Later, dudes!